The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. My guest this afternoon is Jeremy Frank, uh, known on Twitter as at MLB Random Stats. Jeremy, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Hope you guys are, hope you and your family are doing well. We, well, yeah, we're doing good. Thank you. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, but anyway, um, I was thinking about what to say to you earlier when we talked, but I found your story interesting, so I didn't really even have to take notes for this because there's just things about you that I'm curious. Uh, so first, let's start with your Twitter. Um, you have at MLB Random Stats, and I don't know how many followers you have, but it's at least 50,000 or so. And so I want to go back to the beginning. When you very first started Twitter, what, what was your goal for starting your Twitter account? Yeah, I was just looking to just kind of find people that had similar interests to me. Um, at the time, I did not think that there would be 50,000 people interested in a random baseball stats. I thought it would be kind of a more like niche community than that. But um, obviously, uh, it's grown since then. People have been interested in um, the stats I've had to post. But when I first made my account, definitely did not expect to did not expect it to be at this level. It was more just to just to talk baseball stats with with interesting people. So you just uh, you just logged in, started your account, started throwing stats out there, and it just started growing. Because I know I never followed you, but I guess somebody must have retweeted what retweeted something that you posted. So I followed you. So I mean that's it's just that's just how it happens. You have good content, and you'll get followers. So um, now we'll go to something else you have here. You are the co-host, and this is a pretty recent uh, thing for you, right? The co-host of Framing the Conversation podcast. Yeah, so um, we started it at like the end of December. Um, it's me, my friend Devin Fink. He's a baseball writer. He used to write a fan graphs, but they had to lay some people off because of the coronavirus. And uh, Taylor Davis, who's a, he's a major league slash minor league catcher. He played a little bit for the Cubs last year. He's on the Orioles now. So we started a podcast together because um, we kind of just got to know each other through Twitter. Devin's one of my close friends, and then Taylor um, contacted us wanting to know if we were interested in starting a podcast. So, of course, we said yes. And so uh, we started it like the end of December, and it was really just, just to talk baseball. It's really cool because I think all three of us have like a very different approach to, to the game. Obviously, Taylor's coming from like a player's side. He's a very smart uh, dude. I think he's going to end up with a managerial role once his playing career is over. And mm -hmm. then Devin and me are more of like the analytical sense, but we still look at it differently than each other. So um, it's kind of not had the success we wanted because there hasn't been baseball. There hasn't really been anything new to talk about. 
over the last six months besides just the negotiations that are going on and stuff like that. So we tried to, we've kind of been on break for a couple months at this point because there's just really nothing honestly worth talking about. Everything is changing day to day with whether the season's going to come back or not. But I'm confident that like uh, when baseball starts being played, we'll have some, some fun things to talk about, but it's pretty unfortunate. It's pretty unlucky that we started at the year that uh, there was not going to be baseball until at least July, maybe the entire year. Yeah, uh, talking about bad luck, this was the first year that I, des- I decided to get season tickets, and I never even got to use them. Dang that! Yeah, me and my friend. So once, so I go to I go to Purdue University, and um, once they they canceled school before they'd canceled the baseball season. Like they they hadn't canceled school, but like we were online, so we get to go home. And so I live in like the north suburbs of Chicago, um, but I I live closer to Miller Park than Wrigley Field because like the traffic to getting down to Chicago is way worse than going up to Milwaukee. So me and my friend who's a Brewers fan, we got uh, a 10 pack of tickets, including like the first, the opening series where the Cubs were playing in Miller Park. We got all three of those games and then like seven more throughout the summer. We were so excited to get down, to get up there because the tickets aren't that expensive. It was totally worth it. Mm-hmm. But I will mean, have to wait until, until next year, I guess. So what city is Purdue located in? I know it's a big 10 school and I have the mistake of uh, confusing it with Wake Forest every once in a while, I guess, because of the colors. Yeah. But is that is that close to Chicago? It's like two and a half hours away. It's in West Lafayette, Indiana. So it's pretty it's like like what it's like an hour north of Indianapolis. Um, so it's like the northwest ish part of Indiana. I know a lot of people don't know anything about Indiana geography. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of it's it's not too far. Like it's it's definitely a reasonable drive. Like you can go there and back in a day if you wanted to. I know Wake Forest, I think it's like North Carolina, but yeah, oh, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think it's like two and a half hours from here. So it's, it's, a, it's like the perfect distance in my opinion. Cause like you're not too close to home where like you can go home regularly, but at the same time, like if you needed something, you can, you can go home and pick it up and then come back. It's only like a five hour drive there back. Okay. So I kind of wanted to go back to the random stat, uh, Twitter thing. So what I found amazing is when I first started following you were still in high school. Yeah, I mean, uh, I started the account when I was a freshman, so I was like 14 or 15 years old when I started it, and I was definitely, it was interesting, because I definitely did not have the baseball knowledge I, I did, I do now, like, I like, obviously, like, knew a lot about baseball, but a lot of the historical things I never heard of, because it was all before I was born, so over the last few years, it's been really cool, like, just to learn a lot about baseball's history, whereas back then, I was just kind of just finding stats and kind of putting them up like almost like without even really thinking about it because I didn't really have those like personal connections to those players. Like even before like, like 2008, I don't think I really watched baseball. I was just, I was born in 2001. So um, <laughs> most of the guys, I think the first team I remember watching was like the 2007, 2008 Cubs with like Derek, Leo Ramos, Ramirez, all of those players. But before that, I really don't have any memories. I, I don't remember watching Barry Bonds play. He retired in 2007. Um, but it's been really cool over the last four or five years since then to really learn a, a lot about these historical players that some people that are following me might have seen, but also guys before them, like in the early 1900s and stuff like that. So you went into this with a love of stats already, or did the stat, the love of stats just grow? Yeah, I was definitely baseball stats have definitely been like one of my like big interests like growing up I was always like really good at math out and like compared to like the rest of my classes and stuff like I'd probably be like one of the best kids in my math class like every single year and I was always a big baseball fan I played literally growing up I still play like in a in an adult league now but 
Um, my dad was the manager for my little league team. So like I loved math and I realized that like having like watched the movie Moneyball and stuff like that, that um, there's like more to um, baseball stats than just like the back of a baseball card. Like they actually use numbers to make decisions now. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, so like we, you had to keep stats for our little leagues. You had, you're, you had to keep stats because every year there'd be a draft and like the managers don't know all the players. So like you had to keep like batting average and like ERA for the pitchers. But like we, so that means we had to keep the book for like, like the scorebook for every game. So we'd always put the the scorebook stuff into like a spreadsheet and we'd have like all these advanced stats for the players. Cause like, like who even cares, but it was pretty fun. Like that was when I first really got into baseball stats. And like, also I was at, I was lucky enough to be at Mark Burley's perfect game in 2009. And that was the first game I actually kept score at, which was a really great coincidence. Like, um, yeah. I obviously my eight year old self did not appreciate the the game as much as I would if I went to the game now, but it was still really cool uh, to be at. Definitely one of the main reasons I'm like just interested in baseball stats, I guess. So, what is your uh, what are you trying to get a degree in there at Purdue? So I'm studying data science, so it's pretty fitting um, with what I do with the baseball stats. Like, data science is pretty much it's almost like a double major between statistics and computer science. I'm way more interested in the statistics aspect, but knowing how to code is very important nowadays. If you want to like work with, um, I guess just numbers in general, like I pretty much every, I, I think most of the, like the majors and like the STEM fields, like if you know how to code, you're going to do a lot better in it. So what, what's your uh, goal in life for a career? You know, I'm not really sure. I would obviously love to work um in baseball I could see myself like working with a team or like even like working for like a a network where like I mean who do you think like there are people that come up with the stats for the broadcast and like for the scoreboard and stuff like that I can see myself doing kind of that thing more similar to what I'm doing now but also like working with a baseball team and actually like working in like helping them win baseball games trying to find an edge um by like advanced scouting and stuff like that but I could also just see myself working in a just a data science field that doesn't have anything to do with baseball and kind of keeping uh what I do now is more of a hobby, but I don't know. I'm going to keep my options open. I think as I go through college, I think that's probably the best move for me. Well, I can tell you as an older gentleman, it, it would be pretty awesome to have a job you loved. I can tell you that just from experience because I don't have one. But uh, <laughs> so the founder of the Diamond Digest, that's what it is. Diamond Digest. What is that? Yeah. So I started a, the website a few years ago. I think it was like 2017. And so originally, the purpose of Diamond Digest was kind of just to um, help young writers, like young baseball writers, kind of gain experience in um, just like sports writing in general. So I think when we started, like we only like allowed high school and college um, people to like work for the site. Now we've expanded just like anyone who wants to write about baseball. Um, We give a lot of people different like chances and stuff. But when we originally started, it was to just kind of almost like boost your resume a little bit and give people experience because it's really hard to to find sports writing experience if you're not like writing for your school paper or something like that and a lot of people want to be um want to be sports writers so uh, i figured this would be a it would be a pretty good thing to to start um just get people experience just get people um a lot of people have like very unique views on um everything that goes on in baseball so it's really cool to have a bunch of different writers writing about things that that they care about within the sport um, I don't do much for the website anymore. Um, I founded it. I wrote some articles. I edited a little bit back then. But now um, I found we found a bunch of good people to kind of just who are more invested in the website than me at this point. I've got a lot of other stuff on my plate, but um, <laughs> we have some other editors who do a lot of the 
like the work there who kind of keep it running. And then we have a, a lot of writers too. Um, so following you on Twitter, going back to your, your college life, I, I believe I've seen you at a couple of uh, basketball games. So you're enjoying uh, college basketball as well. Yeah. College basketball, honestly, is up there with baseball in terms of my favorite sport. I'm not a huge NBA fan, but um, my dad went to Purdue. So I grew up a big Purdue sports fan and watching all the college basketball games. They were a really good team in the early 2010s and excuse me, in like the late 2000s. So I grew up watching um, those teams play and I, I the college basketball atmosphere is so much fun to go to. Um, like it's going to be disappointing this year because I don't think we're going to be able to have fans in the arena. So it's going to be a little bit weirder watching all the games from home. But yeah. college basketball, I mean, I, if I'm being honest, during the college basketball season, I probably watch more hours of college basketball per day than I do watching baseball per day during the baseball season. Like when I get home from classes, usually like college basketball games will start at like six o'clock and I like watch until like the late games are over at like 1 a.m. I guess I'm kind of the same with baseball, but I mean, yeah. I watch a ton of college basketball. Well, I really enjoy the college basketball when the tournament comes out. Yeah. And when I was younger, I, I was really invested in college basketball, but that's when people would stay for three years and you could get to know people. And now it's kind of one and done and I've kind of lost interest in it. But it's if still you find exciting. A, if you find a school that's like not like Duke or North Carolina or like one of those elite programs, like Purdue very rarely has guy have guys go pro before. I mean, most guys at Purdue like will play all four years there. You have the except like the the rare case where a guy goes pro after two or three years, but if you follow like a like a mid mid to high tier college basketball team, like not one of those elite programs like the Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, all those schools. But if you find like a like pretty much any team in the Big 12 besides Kansas is like most of those guys stay for four years. I know like Texas and like Oklahoma State are getting a few one and one and done guys. But I think most of the teams besides those like elite elite programs will have like a lot of roster continuity over the four years. So I know I'm going all over the place here, but uh, I already forgot what I was going to say in the next question here. But uh, so, oh, yeah, the Diamond Digest. So that's sort of like uh, like fan sided. So if somebody wanted to be a part of that, they just have to go to the website and apply to write for you. Yeah, I don't know how. It, honestly, I don't even know how it works right now. <laughs> that's pretty much how it was when we started out. I don't know what they're doing with it right now. I think. I mean, if you probably emailed them, they'd probably, I mean, hopefully they get back to you. Uh, I don't, again, I don't do much with them anymore. Like I just started it. I'm like, st I still, I'm still like in the, like the group chats and like all the discords and stuff. Yeah. But um, I think that, yeah, if, if you're like a young writer interested in uh, getting your feet wet, writing about baseball, definitely um, at least reach out. Hopefully they'll, they'll respond. <laughs> I don't know though. I mean, we have a lot of writers right now, so it's getting kind of hard to manage. So maybe they capped it off, but it's still really yeah. cool. Oh, it's really cool. Um, I've become pretty good friends with a lot of the writers there. So, yeah, I wrote for Fansided for a while, and it was pretty cool. Uh, when you get your story posted, because it's all they're also uh, well, they're owned by Sports Illustrated. So if right. you go to si.com, you know, and you see it, you see your story in Sports Illustrated, it's pretty cool. But I'm not very good at it, and it took a lot of editing from other people to get my stories out there, but. It's crazy how much content Fansided comes up with because they have so many writers that like pretty much, I mean, if anything that happens in sports, someone's going to be interested enough to write an article about. It. So it's really cool when you can get that yeah. many people like under the same, like, I don't know, like the same roof uh, in terms of like the leadership structure they have. But it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So now let's go to your book. 
the hidden ball trick, and this is all about stats. Yes. So um, me and my co-author, um, Jim Passan Jr., um, I kind of met him on Twitter. He does this. He has a similar account to me. He's at Passan Jim. But um, we have we wrote actually two books. One of them is volume one. The other one's volume two. So they're pretty much just the same book, but just we capped it off because it was getting to be too many pages for one book. But essentially, um, the book is very similar to our Twitter accounts where we kind of just find the most interesting stats. And so the way it works is the first book goes from the years 1876, which was the first year of the National League, until 1919, which was like the last year of the dead ball era. And so pretty much for every year, we have like the important events that happened, um, who was born, who died, um, who made their debuts, who retired. And then we have like a pretty much just like a bulleted list of like 10 to 12 interesting stats that like if we were around and um, we had Twitter, like what would we be tweeting about from the 1882 baseball season? That's pretty much the approach we took to it. And then the second book goes from 1920 to 1969. Um, we'll eventually start working on the third one as um, we kind of just put out the, the second one. So we took a break a little bit, but we'll yeah. get it. We'll get started on the third one pretty soon. But if you're interested in baseball stats, and I really think that, you can really learn a lot about the game's history through our two books, if I do say so myself, because um, we really touch on like those really um, pivotal players that played in all the eras. But also we kind of look at some of the more interesting, like quirky seasons that a player that even like the even like baseball historians may not have heard of because they're just such like a, they only played a few seasons. But one of those seasons, something interesting happened in. we would have put that in our book. So I think that it's a really good mix between um, those legends of the game like Babe Ruth. Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, all of those guys. I just named three Yankees players, but um, yeah. I, the Yankees dominated through 1969. But um, you'll you'll read a lot about those legends, but also a lot about guys that you may not have heard of just because they didn't have the storied careers that um, those other guys had. So going into this, did you know you were going to do more than one volume, or did just the first one just get so big that you had to stop at 1919? Yeah, that's so. Yeah, that's pretty much how it was. We originally planned on just putting all of baseball history into one book, and then we probably got to around 1940 actually, and we're like, this is going to be way too long to put into <laughs> to one book. Like we were looking at like 800 pages, and like that's just too long. It would have been too expensive. To, like no one wants to buy a book for thirty dollars, but people will buy three different books for ten dollars. So we're like, okay, let's just split it up here. Um, so we decided to cut it at 1919. So we'd actually written the entire book. And then some of the second book. And we're like, this is going to be way too long. So we cut it at 1919, worked on finalizing and editing and all of that stuff with the first book. And then once the first book was out, um, we went back and finished where we um, left off in like 1940-ish and went through 1969 for the second book. But if if it wasn't too long, it would have been it would have been one book for sure. So take me to your creation process. So. You go back and look for stats in 1876, and you and Jim are trying to figure out what to put in the book. Yeah, so it's so usually the, what we kind of do is kind of we go we go in order. Well, actually, before we before we really start both of the books, we kind of just scroll through our Twitter accounts and see if we can find any interesting stats that we already have up there. But most of the stats in there we haven't posted. But we'll kind of just do some interesting searches before we even get started and. Um, kind of just look for the entire range of years instead of just focusing on one year and just find interesting things that happen and kind of put a note and like uh, like we'll put a note in like say like for the third book we it was going from 1970 to I guess 2019 
and we'll say like, oh, here's an interesting stat from 1987. Let's like put a note about it. So then when we actually get to 1987, we could put it down. But then we go, we'll just go in order um, from year to year. We kind of read a little bit about what happened each year, um, go through different sources like on Sabre and like whatever, whatever other websites um, have like firsthand accounts of what happened in each year. And then we kind of look through um, some interesting statistics. We kind of just sort through leaderboards because it's really nice that all of the baseball stats from pretty much every year of baseball history are like widely available. It's pretty impressive that they um, have kept track of this for so long, but kind of sort through leaderboards, um, just talking to different people about uh, the years, I guess. It'll be easier for the third book because um, we've lived through some of it. Jim has lived through longer of it than I have. But yeah, it's just a bunch of like reading and then just kind of just sorting through stuff and seeing if we can find anything interesting. And we also want to make sure that we touch on these legends. Like if there's something like say like Roberto Clemente, I guess off the top of my head, he was one of those guys that like may not have had a, I mean, I could be wrong. He could just be like a random guy that came to my head. But if I recall correctly, he didn't have a super impressive like statistical season. Like he had a great career. Don't get me wrong, but he didn't have one of those incredible seasons that you can really just write about in one of those chapters that we have. So mm-hmm. then we kind of went back and like, okay, let's try and find some interesting Roberto Clemente stats because when we were looking through each year, we didn't really find any Clemente stats. Like he didn't really lead the league in too many things um, during his career. I, I, I could be wrong. I'm just like off the top of my head, but um, yeah. we'd kind of go back and like search for Clemente specifically to make sure he gets enough mentions in our book. Cause he, he definitely deserves it. So um, after you get all the stats, is there somebody helping you put put the book together or just you you are both doing it? So we kind of have a our, our rough draft is kind of like it is a rough draft. Um, we kind of have it in the format we want, but then we have an editor who helps us make it so it's in the right order because the the baseball stats in the book are pretty much as bolded. But if you go in the right order, it really tells a good story instead of just jumping from stat to stat. Because a lot of times there'll be multiple stats that mention a player. You want to have those in a row. And just stuff stuff like those. If one player gets mentioned in another stat, you want to just like kind of pivot, like just some maybe someone else on his team or something like that. So our editor really helps us with that. He also like fact checks all the stuff to make sure it's correct, which hopefully it is. Um, but it's 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 he does a really good job. Our editor Patrick Andres was our editor for our second book, and he also just makes sure that it reads well because me and Jim are not very good at writing. We're good at finding baseball stats, but you can't just fill a book with baseball stats. You got to have other words in there. So. He helped a lot with making it read well. Is he related to the other Passon? No, they're actually sp- it's spelled differently. So Jim is P-A-S-S-O-N and Jeff is P-A-S-S-A-N. Oh, okay. The first time I read I, I, that I saw you post your book on uh, Twitter, I thought that's who I thought it was. Writing the no, book no offense you. to Jim, but it would be really cool if I wrote a book with Jeff Passon. <laughs> See, I couldn't even think of Jeff now. I couldn't think of his name. That's funny. Um, so what year did the first book come out? So the first book came out uh, last year. It was around May. And then the second book came about a year later in May of this year. So you had your first book published. You're a freshman in college. I was actually a senior in high school. It was was right at the end of my uh, senior year of high school. It was like May. So like I had like literally like three weeks left in school. But I wrote the book pretty much my entire senior year of high school. It took to work on it. I really wanted to make sure it got out while I was in high school because it's really cool to say that you published a book in high school. Yeah, that's, that, that's what I talk about. Like I've told my wife about you before and 
you know, I'm just thinking like, man, this guy has all these followers. But the most impressive thing is that, that he's got a book published and he's still in high school. I just found I just find it very amazing. You have a very cool story. Thank you. And, So, so you go back to uh, let's go back to Twitter a little bit. I'm jumping around like you said that you're. I needed an editor for these uh, it's all, it's interview all good. questions. So, I don't know if you can think any of you off the top of your head, but once in a while, you'll post like thought-provoking questions. Like you'll put a stat, like player A has these stats and player B has these stats. Is that just for your own amusement to see what people think? Well, I think it's really. Um, I, I really wish I'd started doing more of those. It's really easier once the baseball season is going on because you have a lot of people who have perceptions about players and like they really might not change from year to year as their the players like performance changes. So like you can have a guy like I don't even know off the top of my head, just call him player A, who was yeah. really good in 2017 and 2018, but maybe he's having a down year in 2019 and people don't really realize that he's taken a step down. And so then you could put him as player A in the stat, and then player B could be some guy that really no one really heard of before 2019. And they have very similar stats because one guy's breaking out, one guy's having a down year, and you put like a like a Twitter poll, like who would you rather have this year, player A or player B? And then like most people will put for player B because his numbers are better. And then you hear like, oh, player A is like a, a star and player B is some like random backup second baseman who came into the like who came into the year as a backup second baseman and now got a starting spot on like I don't know, like the Tigers or something like who would have known. But I think it really is interesting that way. Like, obviously, you could just tweet a stat about player B that will make him sound good. But I think having people actually physically press the button saying they would rather have this player B. Let's call player B Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Like, who really knew who Tommy Edmond was? Unless you're like a big prospect guy. You didn't know who Tommy Edmond was before 2019, most likely. And you put player A as like, I don't even know, just like Bryce Harper. Maybe I know Bryce Harper gets a lot of um like crap for being he had a really good year one year and then he's kind of hasn't really hit it since then I, I really do think Bryce Harper's a good baseball player but like just let's say like or let's say Javier Baez for example I'm a Cubs fan so I'll use him so no one gets mad at me let's say Javier yeah. Baez is player E Tommy Edmonds player B maybe they had similar stats maybe not I don't know off the top of my head but when you have a lot of people putting Tommy Edmond is better than Javier Baez that season like wow like who would have thought Whereas if I just tweeted out like, hey, like Tommy Edmonds having a good season, like I think it doesn't get the same response as people actually saying, I would rather have Tommy Edmonds than Javier Baez for the season. Yeah, you put those questions out there and I'm just like, hmm, and I, I just can't figure it out because some of them are so, you know, like somebody might have more home runs. and See, you're way advanced in stats than I am. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. <laughs> really tell who is better specific talents i have is being very good with baseball stats i was like i don't know the guy with the higher ops is he better than the guy with the higher batting average or yeah it's tough on base percentage like which one's better i I mean that's what front offices still wrestle with like nowadays that's why it's so important to have a front office that really knows what they're doing in terms of like statistics because um you can really find an edge by choosing players based on an organizational philosophy or like what do you think is more valuable in terms of just getting wins and like mm-hmm. you could have teams take totally different directions but i think the team who um like looks furthest into like these advanced statistics could have an edge by um just knowing what to look for okay random question before i go to the next one how many times have you seen moneyball 
I've probably seen it like three times. I saw, I actually, I wish I, I need to see it. I haven't seen it in probably a few years. I saw it once when it came out. I've probably seen it a couple of times since then. I've seen a lot of clips from it. I don't think I've watched it all the way through in probably like three or four years. It's definitely a good movie. Like I can't quote it like a lot of people. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know how many people have watched Moneyball several times. I can't quote it. It is a good movie. I, I yeah. kind of should have the entire movie memorized by now, but I, <laughs> I don't like many people would probably think I would. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen it in a little while. I've seen it once, but it was good. Um, so what's the best baseball movie in your opinion, if you have that? I'd probably go with Moneyball. I mean, that's just the obvious answer. I really think that that movie really got me into, um, like baseball stats. I really like Major League. That's a pretty good movie. Um, The Sandlot, obviously everyone loves that one. I mean, I don't really think any of the, a lot of people are like, oh, this one sucks. Like this one's really good. All of them are really good to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah. The rookie of the year where the kid breaks his arm. Yeah. Or I don't know if that's the rookie. That might be the rookie. I get it confused with the Disney one where the guy pitches for the Tampa Bay Rays in his forties. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I remember that one. I know one of them's the rookie and one of them's they rookie just like of the year. OB Network. Like if you turn on OB Network, especially now, odds are they're just showing a movie. Yeah. Yeah. See, normally me and my wife are watching Astro games every night and we don't have anything to watch. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially that like, you can't even just turn on like the NBA because the NBA is not not going on either. Like usually there's a sport that I'm interested in going on, especially yeah. like I said, with college basketball, college basketball starts pretty much right after the World Series ends. And then mm-hmm. college basketball ends beginning of April, which is right when baseball starts. So like there's usually maybe a few days in between, but there's usually very few times where I can't turn on a college basketball game or a baseball game. And I've had <laughs> we've had to go three months without. Uh, either of them so it's been it's been really interesting i've had to find other things i'm interested in <laughs> which i did not think i'd have to do but have you watched yeah. any kbo yeah i watched a little when the season started um i don't i haven't watched in a little while it's just the times are pretty inconvenient i usually if i'm usually i'm up pretty late because i really don't have anything to do i am like you i don't have a job i go to every day mm-hmm. um but I usually will stay up until like 3 a.m. ish. So if the game is on at 1 a.m. Central Time, I'll usually have it on ESPN, just whatever games on ESPN. But most of the games are at 4 a.m. and I cannot stay up for those. I don't care enough about the KBO to to stay up till 4 a.m. to stay up till like 7 a.m. It would have to be because you'd have to watch the entire game. But usually I try and if the game is on at one, I'll usually just have it on in the background. I don't know how closely I pay attention to it, but it is nice to just have baseball on for a change. Yeah, I was recording it. I, I watched like three games in a row and then I had to go back to work. So I stopped watching it. But gotcha. I, I was watching it to try to get my opinion on whether or not MLB will be exciting if there's no fans in the stadium. What, how do you think that's going to be? I think they've done some creative things to kind of get around it. I, I don't know if you follow Rob Friedman, Pitching Ninja on Twitter, but he posts some videos. And there was like one game where they had all of the seats behind home plate were filled with like stuffed animals. And I thought that was really funny. Like, <laughs> obviously, yes, there's no fans, but like, it's just a funny, like small thing that like, obviously teams can afford to buy stuffed animals um, to put there. Like it would be pretty, I mean, I think more likely MLB is probably just going to fill it with advertisements because they need to do anything they can to, to make some money. But um, what the KBO has been doing, they have like the crowd noise um, put in there. Like, I didn't even realize how, um, like, I didn't even realize the crowd noise was fake because it's just always there. And then I'm like, wait, there are no fans here. Like, who is making the noise? And like, oh, it's just like, Im- like just imported from another game or something. But it worked out pretty well. I don't think it was like if base- if Major League Baseball comes back, I will not complain 
that there are, it's not exciting because there are no fans in the stadium. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, my opinion is that, I mean, the KBO, I, I enjoyed watching it. But if I, I think if I'm watching a game that I actually care if they win or not, I'll enjoy it even more. So I've come to the conclusion that I don't need any fans. Uh, yeah. So next subject, we kind of touched on it before I started recording. But what do you think about the draft, how it's going on TV? Because uh, usually it's no big deal. I mean, I think it's done in like the Jackie Robinson studio or Studio 42. And it's no big deal. And this year they're kind of copying what NFL did going into the, you know, general managers uh, houses and all that stuff. So what do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I've never been a huge draft guy, not because like, I don't care. It's just, um, I usually am focusing so much on the major league baseball season that I don't really notice that. Like I watch the draft, but I don't, I, it's hard to research all these guys while the baseball season's going on. It's been different this year because it's the only baseball that's really going on in America right now. So I've had a mm-hmm. little bit more time to kind of look up these guys, but it's it's really tough for for baseball's draft to become popular, in my opinion. For one, because it goes on during the baseball season, and number two is because most of these guys, A, you have never heard of, and B, won't you won't hear of them for another three or four years in most of these players' cases. Like for college basketball and college football, most of the guys getting drafted, if you watch college sports, you know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say the same thing for college baseball, but there's just so many more um, like play. I feel like the players come from a wide variety of teams. And then also the, you have these high school kids that get drafted who, unless you're like an avid draft follower, you've never heard of before. And then right. in the NBA and NFL, these guys make an impact year one. Whereas in my opinion, most of these guys that are getting drafted will not play a major league baseball game until like 2023 i think this year is actually different though as i say that because with no minor league season and a shortened season i really think you could see a couple of these guys that we've seen get drafted actually make an appearance this year it happens once in a while like chris sal did it um, mike leak did it i believe off the top of my head but the way and expanded rosters this year too so if you're if you're a team who drafts like, like a guy out of college who's already sort of developed and he has some good stuff as a pitcher you can you can get away with putting him in your bullpen i think just to get him some reps because there's not going to be a minor league baseball season in all likelihood mm-hmm. and i mean you can really start developing this guy like as a as a major leaguer which is gonna be really interesting like i'm a cubs fan in the second round the cubs drafted a relief pitcher like if you're a relief pitcher like how much development if you're a relief pitcher with quality stuff like he can hit 100 and yeah, I guess he has a good curveball. I haven't really heard much about him before they drafted him, but I mean, if you have that kind of stuff, why not just let him in the in the majors and kind of have him figure it out in situations that it doesn't really matter? Because you're going to have games where you're down eight nothing in the fourth inning. You may as well put him in just to get him, just so he's not sitting, not playing baseball until next season. So, but that was kind of a rant, honestly. It's just different with baseball. I it's I like what they've done with the draft this year. I think more people are. I don't I don't know if more people are watching. I think. It just because it's it's sports on, but there's nothing else to watch. Right. I don't know because I watched <laughs> the NFL draft this year. I don't really watch the NFL draft usually, but I did watch it this year because it was in the middle of nothing. There was nothing else going on, so I watched it, and it was fine. I I guess the same thing about baseball. I don't know. I don't think there are any non-baseball fans watching the the MLB draft, honestly, though. So I look forward to the NFL draft, even though I'm not a huge NFL guy. 
but I'm a good, I'm a huge college football guy. So I'm interested to see where these guys go. And gotcha. mainly, you don't know this about me yet, but I grew up in Oklahoma, so I like Oklahoma Sooners. So gotcha. I always look to see where my guys go. Yeah, um, they're but, a, they're a great they're a great football program. I don't watch I watch more college football than I do with the NFL. So like, I guess I know who some of the players are. But for me, like your college football is my college basketball. Like I watch the NBA draft. I don't really care what happens. I mean, I watch the NBA, but I don't like it as much as college basketball. But I do watch the draft because a lot of these guys I, I've seen play. Yeah, so you you touched on it already. The you watch the NBA draft. They pick a guy number one. He's probably starting the next season. You pick exactly. a cornerback in the top five from LSU, more than likely. He's starting next yep. season. You're and exactly. this, like the Astros drafted, I can't remember his name, Alex Rios, something like that. The second, I can't think of the last name, but uh, he's 18. Yeah. And like you said earlier, he may not even sign, but I mean, this, this kid might not play for the Astros for six years. Who knows? Right. It's really crazy how different the sports are in terms of the minor league systems. Like, in the NFL, there's really no minor leagues. Like, you have the practice squad and stuff, but, like, most of the players that you're going to draft are either not going to make the team or they're going to be able to and be in a position to get regular playing time year one. And the NBA, they have the G League. But, like, maybe your second rounder goes to the G League. But most times, I feel like your first rounder is in a position where he can get minutes for his first year, where even if you have an elite player in college baseball or even a high school player that gets drafted number one overall, even if he tears up single A, he's not going to the majors. He's going to double A. And then he's going to triple A. And then he's going to the majors. It just And most teams are very cautious about promoting these guys just because the skill level between like single A and major league baseball is like, I, well, actually, I can't say that for certain, but I feel like it's bigger than it is from college basketball to the NBA. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I mean, you have a guy like like Zion Williamson. He tore it up at Duke, and he was drafted – I think he was drafted number one overall. Yeah, he had to have been drafted number one overall. Yeah. And um, he comes to the Pelicans. He's hurt for a little while, but then once he comes back to the Pelicans, he just pretty much picks up where he left off. He's putting up like, the exact same numbers like per game in the NBA as he did in college. Obviously the NBA players are better, but the, the game is a little quicker, um, more shots. And the games are longer too. Like the games are quicker in terms of pace, but longer in terms of the minutes you can, you can put up more points per game. But the fact that he's able to compete remotely as well as he was against college kids. I mean, it, it's pretty interesting. Like that would never happen in, in the major leagues with baseball. So you're not a huge uh, NBA guy, but who's the goat LeBron James or Michael Jordan? See, like, I, it's tough for me because, well, number one, I'm, like, in the Chicago area. So most of the people here <laughs> will say Michael Jordan. But at the same time, I did not watch Michael Jordan play. And I've watched most of LeBron's career. I mean, I guess I think I'm not a huge NBA guy because just because it's, like, number three on my list of sports that I care about. But, I mean, I watch it quite a bit. I'm actually a Bucks fan, um, not, a, not a Bulls fan. But, I mean, Numbers-wise, I would probably give it to LeBron. But again, I didn't see Jordan play, so I don't think it's fair of me to be able to to pick right. one or the other. I think most people who saw both of them play would pick Jordan. Maybe that's because they're nostalgic about 90s basketball. But um, it's, it's tough for me to be able to weigh in because all I did with watching the Bulls was watch the last dance. I didn't, I didn't actually – I wasn't alive for any of Jordan's career, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I guess for me, I, I'm not a big basketball fan either, but – 
I, I've always been against LeBron James, just the fact that he couldn't win the title. So he goes wherever, you know, he gives him a better chance. So, I mean, you got to look at his roster on some of those Cleveland teams. Like he took a team with like Anderson Varishaw as the second best player to the finals. Like, yeah. like if he had someone, if, if he was drafted onto a team, well, I guess the Bulls picked up Pippen after they picked up Jordan. But if the, the Cavaliers did the same thing, and kept LeBron, like, LeBron would have won more titles. Than, I mean, he still has three titles, but it's yeah. just the fact that the Cavs were just incompetent in terms of building their team around LeBron. I mean, that's kind of why he left. I don't, I don't really blame him for it. But, I mean, Scottie Pippen, you could argue, was, like, the second-best player in basketball for a couple of the years that he was with Jordan. LeBron never really had that, even when he left to go play with Wade and Bosh. But it's really interesting to, to kind of compare their— because they're super different basketball players. Their legacies are going to be really different. But I don't know. I don't think— Personally, like, I think LeBron's a great person. He's done a lot of good things for, for his community. So I'll never actually like, hate him as a person. But I can see why you wouldn't like him as a basketball player. Right. Okay, so before I let you go, what is the best stat offensively, in your opinion, for a, yeah, offensively for a hitter? Like, in terms of, like, metrics or, like, the best, like, random stat? Like, yeah, are you just, looking for, like, no, batting average or, like, for, like, an yeah, average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, if you're looking for the best player, what stat? kind of sh- like OPS or something like gotcha. what what kind of shows you that this guy's good well I think if you're looking at an overall overall for a player I think war is the best stat that we have available to kind of put everything into one number obviously war is not the end-all be-all and there's a lot that goes into it that is kind of like it's not perfect I will say like if a guy has 5.8 war he's not definitely better than someone with 5.2 war but at the same time most of the time a player with a higher war than another player will be a better overall player just because it takes into account hitting, fielding, base running, um, their positional value and stuff like that. Whereas there's no really other metric that even tries to do that kind of thing. Um, for hitters specifically, I think a good stat is is WRC+. And it doesn't take into account defense. Like it's just for sheer, sheer batting. And basically what it does, it kind of it's kind of like OPS almost, except it's kind of it's scaled to a player's ballpark and their era. So if you have a guy in Coors Field who has like a 1,000 OPS versus a guy who plays at like the Astros for the Astros with like a 900 OPS, like it's really tough on the surface to say which one is actually more impressive. But WRC Plus takes into account all the ballpark factors, the quality of competition, I believe, and and stuff like that to determine. Um, which is which is more impressive, like which person, which player actually provides more runs to their team, regardless of like after taking into account ballpark. So something I was going to ask earlier, but um, so you can do this WRC plus is some people going back in time to like the Babe Ruth era and, and figuring out what those stats are for him. Yeah, so they have it's really cool because we have all of these stats available. So if you go on like fan graphs or baseball reference, like they have they have war for all these guys going back until um, 1871, actually, not even just 1876. But it was interesting because when we were writing the book, we kind of included a few of them. The number the stats that they have definitely aren't as detailed. But again, it's kind of um, it's more of a guessing game than it is a, an exact science. But it's really interesting to be able to compare war because um it takes into account a player's era and ballpark like WRC plus does. So a player hitting maybe eight home runs in 1912, eight home runs is not a lot, but eight home runs in 1912 was very impressive. So war kind of takes that into account 
Um, and like same like say like 1968, that was the year Bob Gibson had a ridiculous pitching season, and pretty much the entire league did too. They had mm. to lower the mound after the 1968 season. So even the best players in 1968, the best hitters, were not putting up remotely as close to the numbers that guys are put up guys will put up now offensively. But WAR takes that into account and realizes that hey, maybe maybe hitting 300. Um, like maybe in the sixties, like overall hitting 300 happened quite a bit, but in 1968, it very rarely happened. So hitting 300, let's just say was more impressive, was more valuable to their team in 1968 than it was. in just whatever other year you're, you're comparing a player to. So you can compare, you can compare Mike Trout's war to Mickey Mantle because you have the era adjustments, you have the ballpark factors. So you can kind of, it's again, not an exact science whatsoever, but at the same time, you have a pretty good estimate of how Mike Trout compared to Mickey Mantle through their age 27 season or something like that. So the the war is war as uh, wins above replacement, right? And the replacement is just a regular guy. Like how how do they figure out the replacement yeah. stats? So re- replacement is pretty much like a theoretical player that would be. It's not like it's not the player's backup. A lot of people are like, oh, like. A player is going to have a worse wins above replacement if like their backup to that player is good. It doesn't really matter who the backup is. It's just compared to a player that's like on the fringe of being in the minors and being in the majors. Like a guy that you could replace, I guess. Like the, I guess the next like theoretical guy you'd be able to bring in to replace whatever okay. player you're talking about. So it'd be a player that's like a fringe minor, fringe major league player. And that's who it's compared to, I believe. The way they now that out. now that you're answering that now I remember that that's the answer it's the uh, it's a guy that you could call up to take yep. his place from the yeah, minor exactly. leagues and I think the way it works I don't know the exact number off the top of my head but I believe they define it as um, where a team full of replacement level players would win I think 46 games in the majors so that's how to, how they they mathematically do it I don't know where they came up with the 46 games obviously they I guess they figured out that a team of just good enoughs would win that many games in the major leagues. So that's kind of how they figure it out. And then you can compare um, each individual player with, um, with like, I guess you could say if you added up all of a team's war, if you add up all of their players' war, and then add that to the 46 games that a replacement-level team will win, you can pretty much have a very good estimate of how many wins that team actually had. Because you're comparing that team and looking at all of their wars compared to a team of all replacement-level players. Okay, I'll end the show with one fun question that I just thought of. If you could have dinner with any current Major League Baseball player, sit down and have dinner with them for about an hour, who would you who would you choose? I'd probably go with Joey Votto. I think he's just a really interesting uh, character. He's very, I mean, he's just a really weird dude. Not like in a bad way, but like he's, he definitely, he knows baseball incredibly well, um, even compared to other Major League Baseball players. Obviously, everyone in, in baseball has a very great baseball mind. But Joey Votto especially, and he's just a really interesting baseball player. Like, he kind of plays the way, like, he kind of plays his own way almost. Um, he's not really in his prime anymore. Maybe he'll bounce back um, in the next season. But he had a down year in 2019. But his career is really interesting. He's one of the few guys that you can really count on to hit 300-ish. And he walks a ton. He, he has power, but he it's not really, like, his number one tool. But also, I think the most interesting thing about Joey Votto is this stat that I posted I think a couple of years ago and it kind of really grew my account. It got like 15,000 retweets or something like that. And he, he, I think um, I posted it in 2018 and the stat was that from 2010 to 2018, Joey Votto had popped 
up into the infield seven times over a nine-year stretch. Is that ridiculous? Like, like, I pop up all the time in, like, just my rec league baseball league. And Joey Votto's in the major leagues facing guys throwing upper 90s. And he just has such ridiculous bat control that, like, he just never will pop it up to an infielder. Like, he he had years where he just didn't do it at all. I don't know even how that's possible. I think a stat was that he, until last year, he had never popped up to the first baseman in his entire career. Like, I don't know. How is that possible? I don't know. I know know Joey Votto's good, and everybody's heard of him, and they know he's good. But it it seems like he may be a little underrated. Would you agree with that? Because he plays for Cincinnati. Totally agree. And I think his playing style kind of makes it so that he's a little underrated. He's not going to hit you 50 homers in a season, but he's just consistently good. He's going to get on base upwards of 40% of the time in his prime. And, like, that is just such an underrated tool to be able to have a guy that's going to get on base twice a game pretty much. Um, if you bat, if you give him five at bats or five plate appearances, you, you can count on him to get on base twice. Which, even like a lot of good players don't get on base even like 35% of the time. So just his sheer consistency kind of just flies under the radar because he's not really super flashy. But just some of the things he does are really incredible. Okay, last thing. I know I said last thing already, but will we have a season 2020? I think we will. I've I think Manfred. I don't know if the players will be happy about it, but Manfred has the ability to to have a season whether they with prorated salaries for 48 games. I believe I read that. Mm-hmm. So even if the players and the owners can't come to an agreement with like a 70 or 80 game season where they work out the contracts, Manfred can do it by himself where he's like, OK, 48 game season, you're going to get paid the same per game as you would um, in a 162 game season. We're going to start soon. Or we're going to start like in two weeks. Like he can do that if he wanted to. And there'd be no reason for him not to do it. He said yesterday that there will be baseball. And if the dude who has the power to have baseball says there will be baseball, I, I think I'm going to have to believe him there. I agree. I also read something that if the players don't want to play, they, they don't have to. Right. I think that's pretty fair. I think there are definitely some health concerns, <clears throat> especially for for guys who might have like compromised immune systems or if a family member does, I think. You might see a few guys opt out of playing. I think that's. I think that makes sense to at least be able to give that option. I don't think it's fair to force uh, these players to work in um, what could be um, like life-changing conditions for either them or their families. But honestly, if if the players are done with it, like I'm hundred, I'm I'm very sure that most of the players will be down to play baseball. And so if everyone's happy, um, making sure that the, um, they're taking the right health risks or the, not the right health risks, the right precautions health-wise to make sure everyone's safe, like. I think everyone's happy. All right, Jeremy. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. This uh, We'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.